0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another exciting episode of The Racing Show. And today's episode is really very special because today we are being joined by... A wrestler who's not just an incredible wrestler, but an incredible human being overall. He's six feet three tall, 216 pounds, two time OEW heavyweight champion, FCW heavyweight champion, Florida tag team champion, and the longest reigning NXT tag team champions of all time. He is the one and the only, the God of Space, Wick. <laughs> Wick, welcome to the show. Such an honor to have you here.
1: Wow, man. Thank you. It's quite an honor. Uh, That was a great intro. I don't even know what to say after that. I'm flattered. Far too flattered.
0: You deserve all the great intros in the world because you are just such an incredible man. I'm so so excited to have you here, and I'm genuinely so excited about our chat so we can get to know about this gem of a person behind the space god, (laughs) behind Wick. So, I mean, the little correspondence that we've had or emails and, you know, I've been following you for some time. I mean, you just automatically come across as one of the nicest guys out there. And, (laughs) And I'm a firm believer in this phrase that good energy and good people, they attract good people. And in your case, you know, from the little research that I've done, I feel like in your case, there have always been those good people here and there. I mean, who have motivated you, who have pushed you, and who have somehow, in some way, shape, or form, pushed you into the wrestling career. I mean, let's go all the way back to Alberta. Let's go all the way back to your childhood, <laughs> where I believe you met a couple neighborhood kids who were who first got you into wrestling. So can you tell us something about the, your childhood, your friends, how did you really, you know, if you really fell in love wrestling in your childhood?
1: Uh, I mean, that is true, it is funny. Um... Just thinking about it, like I had somebody, I did an interview not too long ago where I was kind of reminded of it. But like when I was about five or six years old, uh, I moved from the bigger city of Edmonton, Alberta to a smaller city of, of Grand Prairie, Alberta. Um, and I, I didn't know anything about wrestling at the time. You know what I mean? Like I was so young. And when I moved in, my neighbors immediately next door, uh, there was, remember if there was two brothers or three brothers. I know there's two for sure. But all of a sudden them and all the other neighborhood kids were always like kind of wrestling in the yard. And uh just they kind of showed me WWF at the time and stuff. And uh then it turned out like one of my buddies like at school, um, I'd kind of been like watching wrestling. You know, I didn't even have like that many friends outside of my neighborhood at the time. And then when I started school in that town, I just remember like I was walking through the playground one day and I heard one of my pals who's been like a lifelong friend to me, uh, heard him and another kid talking about Owen Hart being the blue blazer.
0: That's
1: right. And I was just so like, what? Like, how, how do you know that that's who that is? You know what I mean? Like I was only in grade two at the time or something like that. And, uh, I just kind of hit it off with him right away. And sooner than later, like wrestling was just like always around me, like stampede wrestling came to town. And, um, one of my dad's friends from work, uh, he was a big wrestling fan. So like he took me and introduced me to Stampede Wrestling for my first time. And like really like a lot of my friendships all kind of <laughs> formed around wrestling. Like at that time when yes. I was a younger kid. And then, you know, I was like, you get a little bit older and turn into a teenager. That was kind of the uh, dark days, I guess I would say for WWF. And it wasn't so cool for a couple of years. And um, but then all of a sudden it came back. Like right when Austin came back, we all came back. And me and my friends had actually all started Uh, watching all the old pay-per-views and WrestleManias again one summer um, where, you know, and we just fell back into it. Like, and it was just one of those things where it was like, hey, remember when we were kids and we used to like do this? Why don't we do this again now? Like, and it was, it just seemed to carry on. And so like wrestling had always kind of been kind of with me, I guess, guiding me to be a wrestler, I guess, like all through my my childhood and everything. Like by the time I was, you know, 16, 17 years old and I was trying to figure out what I was going to do with myself, um like it just kind of popped up where i was like i wonder if i could go do this and then it just so happened like the dungeon reopened um within kind of that same time that i was looking for a place and stampede wrestling had started up again Um, because at the time i didn't know where i was going to go i couldn't really find anything in canada uh i think there was only two places two or three places i found online at the time which were Shawn michaels camp and there was the malencos and then warriors but i was you know i was 17 i didn't have any money um and i certainly didn't know how to get to the states at that point in time even though i'm a dual citizen i didn't have that citizenship at that point in time but uh yeah just kind of all seemed to like fall into place one way or another for the longest time and it's it blows me away now when i look back at all of it think about it because it's uh it's wacky like wrestling just always kept uh kept me on that path to becoming just what i am
0: today it's like destiny i mean when i look at you and i look at corner i mean i i look at you and i see genuine friends in both of you i mean there's there's a Only a few tag teams that I look at and I go like, oh, these are actual friends. These are real life friends. You guys remind me a lot of uh, Crime Time, JTG and Chad Gaspard. I know they were really good friends. And that's Mm -hmm. what you you guys remind me of. And I'm like, Victor has not just, it's been destiny, not just with Victor and wrestling, but Victor and his friends guiding him into wrestling some way or somehow. It's beautiful. So you mentioned that you were watching wrestling growing up. Yeah. Did you have a favorite wrestler that you wanted to be like or you just looked up to?
1: I mean, when I was a kid, the Warrior, honestly, was one of my favorites. Um, and it's funny because by the time I was a teenager and I'd watch his matches back, I'd be like, these suck, but they're still super awesome. Like, And just when I look back at his stuff, I'm like, he really wasn't you know, the best, but he had exactly what you needed to just uh have that energy and just to be awesome and it was you know it's super silly to me because my wrestling and obviously my size is nowhere near what the warrior was but uh he was one of my favorites as a kid uh and i loved hogan of course because that was you know all during hulkamania uh was what i grew up in and but then like i loved guys like tito santana rick Martel. um Oh, I loved Jake the Snake. Like even nice. when he was a bad guy, like I just always loved him. I just thought he was so, so good, uh, at right. whatever he was doing. Uh, I really loved Demolition, the Road Warriors. Like those were my favorite tag teams when I was a kid. I loved the Rockers. um You know, I always thought it, it sucked the way the Rockers ended because I really loved it when Marty Jannetty would come back on WWF or WWE TV and work again because he was still awesome. And it, in fact, it is really funny because i I like Shawn Michaels by far one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. I mm-hmm. never once cared for his character w- whatsoever in wrestling. Like, not once. Uh, okay. I was, I was a Bret. I was a Brett fan. Uh, I was an Owen fan. Like Davey, you know, all of those guys. Um, and so I don't know if maybe there was just like that stigma was like always stuck with me. And uh, to the first time I met Shawn, he wasn't nice. I would say. Oh, okay. but um, not that he was rude or something. He just didn't seem like he gave a shit., uh, but that changed over time because um, like later on, once he became a producer and was working with NXT and stuff, I did you I would see him more when he would come up on the road, and then it was a completely different guy than the one I, I had met the first couple times. but, um, yeah, that would kind of be my list that you know, right off the top of my head.
0: Beautiful. So does Shawn Michael know that you weren't a very big fan of him growing up, or is this podcast going to bring the news to him?
1: <laughs> uh, I don't, you know, there's only a couple guys I ever talked, talked with about it, um, because it's not like I don't uh, love his matches. I think he has great matches. By far, yeah. one of the, you know, he's Mr. WrestleMania for sure. It was just the character. Like, I could just never get into the character. Um, but no, I, I never discussed that with him at all. Uh, and I didn't, you know, I didn't talk that about it that much with other people. Like, I think uh, when I lived with uh, Tyler Breeze back in the day, like he was always watching Shawn Michaels stuff. And, uh, I, you know, I'd let him know just like, because uh, like his character just makes me cringe. And, you know, I'm a man. You know, I'm not. I'm not into sexy boys. I guess.
0: <laughs> no, I get it. absolutely. I get it. So, uh, your opinion of Shawn Michaels did change when he became a producer and you got more mature. I understand that. Now, you also mentioned that you were a fan of the Ultimate Warrior. Of course, you know the Hart family. Did your opinion on any of those did it change at all as you grew up and you got into the business?
1: Oh. I mean, it probably took me working around Brett for about 15 years for him to finally remember who I was. Um, So that was always kind of like frustrating. Um, But I mean, he was always cool whenever I'd see him. Like, um, so it's not. I guess like by the time I'd met him was just once he had first had his first concussion or that series of concussions from like Goldberg and whatever in WCW. Right. And at that time, there was always so much kind of uh, I want to say chaos a little bit around the Hart House when I first started training there. There was a lot of family turmoil, um, so I didn't really like get to know him until like a few years afterwards when uh, we were training with Tokyo Joe with like I was you know with T.J. Wilson and Harry Smith, and a few other guys that uh, were training. But Brad eventually was working out at the gym all the time, and he'd kind of come and watch us wrestle. So then I'd actually kind of get to know him. Uh, but it just seemed weird because I'd see him at shows then afterwards sometimes. And he mm-hmm. <laughs> just never seemed to remember me at all. And then uh, I was just always like, man, what do I what do I got to do to make Bret Hart remember me? And then finally, I think when we were, um, he came to one of the last takeovers. It might have been one of them just as we were losing the titles or just before. And we sat and talked in the bleachers for a while that day. And it finally seemed to like click that he like could remember me. Awesome. So it wasn't like that I had a bad opinion of him. I was just always like, come on, man. What the fuck? That's right. <laughs> but it is. I mean, yeah. I mean, other people, I don't know. Um, yeah, I can't. I can't think of anybody I've really had my opinion uh, change on in, in wrestling. I think there was guys that I didn't expect to be friendly who were friendly. Um, okay. But, they, you know that's about it, really. So I, I think my opinion only changed for the better on anybody, really.
0: Okay, well, that's cool. And, you know, of course, you were uh, trained by some of the very best in the dungeon. But before we get to the training part, let's talk about your family's reaction to it. I mean, you, you, you're done with school, you're done with your education, and then you decide to, you know, enter the dungeon and get into wrestling training. What was your family's reaction to all of this like?
1: Uh Well, so the one thing was, uh, I'm one of those rare cases that didn't do everything I was supposed to do. I dropped out of high school in my last year, uh, because I really hated it. Um, I just wasn't able to like apply myself the way I wish I could have now, like looking back at everything, but I wound up dropping out and I, uh, I had a full-time job and I tried to do homeschooling and stuff. And so when I finally came to that decision, my dad thought I was crazy. Um, not in a bad way just like he didn't get it that was all like even when he'd watch wrestling he'd just kind of laugh at it and be like you want to do that like that looks painful like Mm -hmm. what what makes you want to do that and they would just say i don't know there's something about it and uh i think my mom was just worried i was going to get hurt because i as a kid i was always getting hurt i tore the ligaments in both of my ankles i think twice by the time i was like 12 years old um you know i was always doing something to mess myself up like i spent a good amount of time in the emergency room growing up uh, for stuff. So I think she was worried that that was just gonna kind of continue on with wrestling. And like, thankfully I've been really lucky. I've only had two knee surgeries uh, the whole, my, my whole career and, you know, very, yeah. very minor, minor issues. So I've been very lucky with that. But then um, my grandmother, uh, like I used to talk to her and my mother every week when I first started wrestling and, st- you know, for Stampede and the hearts. And every week she would just be like, oh, maybe it's time for you to go do something else, you know, because I wasn't making any money. And I just had to keep telling her, like, well, it's just how it is, you know, but, you know, she was still always supportive and stuff. And then by the time. uh, I think I went to England um, in like 2005, you know, it's one of those things like I couldn't for some reason, I couldn't get a normal job like at a gas station or you know, at a, you know, at a warehouse or whatever, like nobody was hiring me to do anything. And I had just come back, I think, from my first knee surgery at that time. And I was like, I really got to do something. I had the opportunity to go to England. and work for Brian Dixon. And so I just said to her, like, this is the only thing I can do. And that's how I'm going to go do it. I'm going to go make money. And then she finally kind of stopped. She kind of like let off for a bit. Um, Because I think also, I think I'd gone to Japan just before that. And then I would gone to England so like after that she was kind of fine she never really told me to go do something else again so you know
0: I'm pretty sure you made her very proud and you made your family very proud look at all the progress that you have made and speaking of money you said that you were not making a lot of money when you were at Stampede or any money Uh, how much money did you actually was there a good amount of investment that you had to put in when you were you know getting trained at the dungeon I know that there was a trainer Tokyo Joe I believe that he didn't charge you correct? Nope, but you charging me you, a dime. That's, that's incredible. But can you tell yeah. us about investment that you have to make or not have to make, something like that? I mean,
1: like I'm one of the lucky ones. Like, so when I started at the dungeon and many other people I think paid the same amount around that time, or some people even more, um, but I paid $3,000 back in 2000 to start training, you know, but that Bruce told me, he goes, as long as this place is open, you know, you're always welcome to come train here and everything. And uh, so that was always good. I never paid them another dime Uh, You know as long as I as long as I've existed that was the only time I paid the money And the hearts were usually pretty good about paying me even if it wasn't much they still paid me Um, So I couldn't really complain there, but I wasn't you know really making any money Um, and Like, I think I'm pretty lucky for that. There's a lot of people that came from like overseas and stuff and probably paid the hearts, the same amount I did or more money. And, you know, they'd last a couple months and then they were gone again. Um, You know, I was amazed really like within my first year there, I swore I saw like a hundred people come and go. And I was just like, wow, like how many of these people paid the same amount of money I did. Um, But I think I was kind of ready for it at that time because there was so much that had kind of been coming out at the time, like uh, Wrestling With Shadows was out and then um, Beyond the Mat came out and, you know, so and then there was just so much extra stuff that was kind of preparing me to wrestle for 10 years and not really make much money uh, until I finally got a shot at something. And so even I like, had been wrestling for about three years uh, with the hearts by the time Tokyo Joe finally had, he'd, he'd been training um, TJ and uh harry kind of because harry was still pretty young at the time so he didn't have he was still doing school and stuff so he didn't have as much free time but so then there was uh so basically he was just training tj because ted unfortunately wasn't focused enough to go through japanese regimented training (laughs) and uh so joe needed a couple other guys to train with tj and so he grabbed me and a guy named dave swift um because he would see us at the shows and uh it, that was such a rarity because it was literally like having Mr. Miyagi come and grab you and say you're going to be the next karate kid um, But he always told us too, so he was a funny trainer um, <laughs> Because the reason he never took any money from us because he said if we pissed him off He would still have to train us if he took our money But he goes if you piss me off now I can just stay home. I don't need to come train you It's not okay. you know, not my fault so he said, you know, he said he never took money because he didn't want to, to make a false commitment to us because he's like, if I don't want to train you guys, I'm not going to train you well. Um, he goes, but as it is now, like I'm committed to always helping you. And he always did. He was really one of a kind. He was super awesome. Like he for as much insanity as he put us through, um, he really took care of us. He would take us out to eat all the time and just he was so many great life lessons. Like he was like my first uh, real guru in life, I would say. So.
0: That's incredible. And speaking of Miyagi Do, so did he teach you to strike first, or were you all about the balance back then? Uh, he was
1: all about the balance. He was. Okay. I mean, there was the times where he said to strike first, but you know, he was he was pretty smart in everything that he ever taught taught us. You know, and it's funny because uh, Natty and TJ and myself will always laugh about you know some of the things that he would always say to us because it's just it it was so ingrained in our minds um you would go home after training all day and all you would want is just to get his voice out of your head but you couldn't like we would all we'd fall asleep and you'd still have dreams of him like telling you stuff you know it was it was wild because you just couldn't get him out of your head
0: so you know that's incredible i mean you received very good uh, training from all these trainers. I mean, you were trained not just, you know, by the herds but also you were trained in Japanese style. That's incredible. And it shows whenever you're in the ring, it shows the amount of experience that the training that you've received it's incredible but uh victor it's one thing to train to be a wrestler or a fighter but it's another thing to train to be a safe wrestler so can you tell us how hard or how easy was it for you to train to be a safe wrestler to not just keep yourself safe but also the opponent safe
1: so that was one of the things bruce was uh, really awesome about when uh, i started training at the dungeon <laughs> and it's funny because as my travels took me down the road Bruce used to always, he would give us examples of like, do this like this and not like this because somebody messed me up or hurt me or was trying to hurt me and this is what they did. So don't do that. Like he would, he was pretty awesome at pointing out uh, how to be safe, how to protect yourself, how to protect the other person. Um, And like that, all of that really stuck with me always. And like Tokyo Joe was great at doing that too. Um, But he had a different, style kind of like he was showing you how to protect yourself from being hurt by somebody or you know showing us the little technical things that like hey you could really hurt somebody if you do this but if you do it like this it looks exactly the same and you'll be fine um, so like those two played a really big role in that um, definitely because bruce was always that was one of the things like i have so many things that still stick with me to this day uh that were from bruce hart just giving examples of Somebody trying to hurt him, <laughs> and you know, and you know, that's
0: that's how it kind of went. So, as I'm hearing your stories from Stampede and you know from the dungeon, it just seems like there was a little family in there, you know, with the hearts, the Tokyo Joe, with yeah. yourself. It's it sounds like a little family, and I know there was an inside joke going on, and I would like to ask you about that. What was the harder part for you, you know, in that whole time? Was it the training? Was it the wrestling? Or was it being called? Jesus and Satan what was harder for you (laughs) (laughs) I mean uh,
1: neither of those really bothered me I used to always laugh about that all the time Um, I think just surviving at the time because I mean uh, yeah when I was younger like I looked even crazier than I do now Um, and so I you know people would call me whatever and I you know I didn't really mind Uh, and everybody like when I moved to Calgary Anybody that I would kind of interact with outside of wrestling when they found out what I was doing, um, they were always kind of more excited about it than even I was. So like, it always just kept me with a good feeling. Um, And like everybody in Calgary always loved wrestling. Everybody has a hard family story one way or another in Calgary. So it was just good, like, you know, it was like how you said, like, it felt like a family there um, a lot. Uh, And like, too, with those guys I spent a lot of time with a lot of those guys, uh, and stampede. And, like I was there for seven years about until I finally left. Um, Amazing. and you know, I really, I couldn't ask for much better. Like it is funny to me when I think about it. Cause like, um, so Brian Danielson and Spanky started at the same time as Shawn Michaels camp as I started at the dungeon. And it's just like, you know canada at that time was so hard to break through or get any kind of notoriety because there wasn't what we have nowadays with you know the internet and everything mm-hmm. and uh so later on like when i you know did meet meet brian uh both of them i said like wow it's really wacky to know that like we've been working you know the same amount of time but like you guys had so much more of a platform to kind of work with as to where in canada we were we only had a couple companies that ran between like two towns. Um, and even then like promoters would fight, uh, because they didn't want you working somewhere else or whatever. But it was like, really? Like we don't ever go there. So what's the big deal? But you know, there's little things
0: like that, but I'm so thankful for it. Really. It's incredible. And I can tell how nostalgic you feel just by talking about it. It makes me smile. It's yeah, incredible. Yeah.
1: Thanks. Yeah, so- I don't think about it often. That's funny. I don't, uh, I mean, like I said, like the other week, somebody brought it up when I did an interview, and I was like, "Oh wow, I haven't thought about any of this stuff in a
0: long time." Like, so after Canada, you moved to the to Japan. You do shows in Japan, in the UK, and then Canada. I mean, were you happy with all that was going on? I mean, it's from the from the looks of it, it seems like you were making a a good I mean I mean you were making it in the business. You were doing good in the business as a wrestler. You were traveling um I mean almost around the world. Were you satisfied with that kind of life?
1: Uh I really kinda was at the time because like once I'd gone to Japan um like that to me was really making it like that blew me away just being a I think I turned twenty three or twenty four when I was in Japan on the tour that I did. And it was so awesome. Like that was all I had wanted to do. Um really at that time. And then going to wrestle in England, I was there for about four months and I loved it so much. Like that was one of my favorite times in wrestling. And I said, like, if I could just do this, like I would be so happy. Like this, like it just kept me going because like anytime too, when I was away, like people would be like, oh, do you miss home? And I was like, no. Wow. And it wasn't like, you know, I didn't miss home, but I was just like, I don't know if, you know, I'll get to come back. Or, or not. So I'm not going to spend my time missing somewhere. I know I'm going to go back to, okay. And uh, you know, most of the time. I know when I came home from England, like I, we had been so busy because um, I think I did something like 80 some odd shows within like 100, you know, right. in some days. And it was nuts like when I looked at that. and There was only like a week or two where we ever had like downtime while I was there. And so by the time I came home, I don't think Stampede or anybody was running very often. It was like, once I got back, I sat there for a month and I was like, oh, I'm bored. I got to do something, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, I, I wish it had kept going. Um, but like, I guess like little things kept popping up everywhere. Cause I think about that time was when I started to look into getting my citizenship, uh, to come down to the States. That's right. And, you know, I had been talking with, uh, Brian Dixon about going back to the UK again. Mm-hmm. And then, um, at that time was also when uh, Brian Danielson He got they brought him to Philadelphia to train at the ROH school for a little while And so I had actually just I had emailed him and been like hey Could you like recommend some places for me to send stuff to or whatever? and he invited me to come stay with him uh, in Philly for a little while and You know, he said he could try to help me get on some ROH shows and stuff. And so that was what I did And then I was like man, you know, maybe I should try to break into the States And then the girl I was with, um, she had gone to an OVW tryout and she'd got invited to go to Rip Rogers class, which was a paid class, you know, not a contract class. And, you know, uh, it just seemed like I wasn't getting, you know, it didn't seem like I was going to go back to Japan. I knew a bunch of stuff had kind of happened with Tokyo Joe and he had a bit of a falling out, I guess with new Japan at the time, because just their, um, I think their office changed is what it was so like the people he had been dealing with for you know ever uh, weren't in those same positions anymore and so eventually it was just like okay well looks like i'm you know gonna move to louisville and go train and see what happens there so and it was it was odd because like i really hadn't um considered that wwe had its own style That's you know funny. like every everywhere else you go you kind of just go wrestle and you know you can you know what it is, but like for some reason, it had never really clicked into me until OVW. Like, oh, there's like a very distinct style to what this is. And it's just the way it's run. And um, it was such a big shock, I guess. Like, it was just an odd shock. But then I fell in love with it there. And I was like, okay, this is all I want to do. This is where I want to go.
0: And it, it baffles me. I mean, as we're talking about this, I realized that whatever we're just discussing right now, Probably happened like two decades ago. And I'm looking at you right now. You look like you're in your 20s right now. So it's incredible. You don't oh, age. At all. I've, I've <laughs> somehow
1: gotten a little bit younger looking once I shave my head. Um, let's see. As we can see, I've got a lot of gray facial hair nowadays. So, no, that's right. you, you look great. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Well, luckily, so, it, it, I started two decades ago. It's actually just been. That's right. Oh, yeah. It's 2022.
0: So it's been about 22 years since I 22 started. years. That's right. I believe you started in 99. So yeah, you're right. Yeah. the end 99. So you say that now you shave shaved your head. Is that something you wanted to do while you were with the WWE as well? To oh, shave yeah. your head?
1: Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's it's really funny because like when I first got signed uh, and brought in an FCW, um, I think they just hated the way I looked. They hated the long hair. They hated my goatee. So I'd cut my hair a bit shorter and shaved my face for the first time in my whole adult life. Um, uh, (laughs) and so then, you know, like I went in and like, I kind of didn't know who I was anymore because I was like, okay, well my hairs and stuff isn't my identity, but it's really just the way I've wanted to look forever. Like when I was a kid, I even told dusty roads, I go, I look exactly how, i pictured myself to look as like a super villain or like a comic book villain or something like that you know what i mean when i was a kid i I don't see what's wrong with it and he would make the joke that like they just didn't like my face or something like that and dr tom would tell me he goes just do what they want He goes, they're going to eventually tell you to do what you're already like doing you're gonna wind up right back where you started and he was exactly right because by the time i got put in the ascension it was grow your hair out grow the beard again and i was like so then why did i just go through all this shit for you know the two years that you know I've been, i'm kind of
0: treading That's water right. in
1: fcw um but so then even before we left nxt i had actually asked um bill Demott. i was like dude my hair's really bad thinning can I please shave my head? And the answer was no, not until we're done with it. And I was like, what? And so I would bug him about it all the time. He'd keep saying no. Eventually That's... we got moved up. And then uh, eventually one day I was sitting with Vince talking to him about stuff. And I started to ask him about it. Cause I was like, you know, this is years have gone by of me hating, hating my hair that I'm not allowed to cut. And even he just went, well, then you just be another bald guy. <laughs> I was like, yeah, but, this looks terrible and He just went, but then you'd be another bald guy in my head i just kind of went okay well this obviously isn't going further so i just moved <laughs> on with whatever else we were talking about and uh then after a while i would just kind of go bug mark carano about it he'd always say no as well so by the time we got released i just <laughs> i was like Good, time <laughs> to get rid of this i couldn't stand it anymore
0: oh the oh wow and, you know and I've heard we've heard a lot about, you know, WWE and when it comes to looks. So especially there's this guy, John Laurinaitis. We've heard stories. We've heard that he has hired people based on the looks, the likes of Kelly Kelly, Alicia Fox. He saw them on the magazine covers, hired them. And then you had I know you're big fans of them, the Briscoe Brothers. They were refused a contract because they were not you know, just cosmetically pleasing to the WWE fan base or WWE programming. I mean, all this stuff, when you hear stuff about that, how do you feel? Did you ever experience something like that? Or did you see something like that happening that they refused somebody the main event spot or refused to put them on TV just because of how they looked? Um,
1: I think the first time I was ever an extra was when they brought up off junior and, I can kind of remember seeing Lauren. I just get pissed at him about his gear because like it was at a pay-per-view. I think he was debuting that night with like legacy or something. That was when it was Cody and Ted jr. And Randy and he had done something and he was still on TV, but I just remember like the next day, it really seemed like they were up his ass about it. And I remember them like scrambling to have him, uh, have, you know, nicer looking gear made or something for when he came out. Um, but that's kind of the only time I can really think of something. I mean, like, I feel like I always fought with it until they put me in the Ascension. Um, they could never really decide what they did or didn't like about the way I looked. Um, that's... So, you know, I when it comes down to it, like, I couldn't say that I've specifically seen it. And even... I know when I first got signed into FCW, there were stories about the Briscoes and how they were interested in them, but I can't remember if it was because they were under contract still with ROH that they weren't kind of able to pick them up or not. But I don't think those two really wanted to go at that time either. I think, um, you know, as far as I could tell, like, I don't know them very well, but I I just remember guys saying, like, with the – you know, they have their farm and stuff like that. So they were doing good and they loved what they were doing. So, you know, I don't That's think, I think if anything, if WWE was like, no, we don't like the way they look, that would just prove that they're, you know, they don't know that money isn't always pretty green, I
0: guess. <laughs> all right. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, we started talking about the WWE, but before we were uh, talking about Japan and UK, and I actually really wanted to ask you this question. I mean, as a young wrestler, you're touring all these places. I mean, how, how was the jet lag and how was the culture shock when you went to these new places you went to japan did you suffer suffer from any culture shock i mean you found yourself in the middle of strangers of strange culture all of that stuff
1: um so japan the one thing that got me and i wish i've, I've always wished i could go back because this has never really happened to me again in all my traveling but when i was there i would keep dreaming that i was back in canada And then I would freak out in my dream because I'd be like, wait, how am I in Canada? I have to be ready for a match tonight in Japan. And then I'd wake up in like a panic, you know what I mean? In the middle of the night. So I couldn't, I just kept having all sorts of wacky dreams when I was there. And uh, that kind of messed me up, but there wasn't like a bunch of jet lag that really got to me or anything. Um, And the culture there, I mean, the only thing that shocked me was I was like, wow, everybody's super clean super friendly um Mm -hmm. anywhere that i went like i you know i'm a dumb canadian i don't speak other languages unfortunately um but i could communicate with anyone because even if like we didn't speak the same language they would tell me to write it down and if i wrote it down they could write it back the answer to me and i was like Mm -hmm. this blows me away like you guys are way smarter over here uh and then england um England was funny because sometimes I couldn't understand what people were saying. And it, mm-hmm. you know, it was one of those things. I used to always be able to understand accents really well when I was younger. And, uh, when I got to England, there was some people that I just could not understand whatsoever, but like, I loved the cultures, you know, in both places so much because just, uh, growing up in Canada, you only kind of see one thing. And, uh, granted, we got a lot of British television, uh, but it made me go like, oh, I wish I could actually see some of this stuff. And just getting to go over there and like just look at everything was so awesome to me. Um, yeah, I, you know, any anytime we would go anywhere, even with WWE for me, it was just even being able to look at the town that you're in, or the city you're in, just seems so remarkable to me to see all the little differences and likenesses and just even the people and how everybody is, but like, I always found I was found it just like awesome being somewhere else. Like I was always, you know, at those times, I didn't want to be home very much. So it was great to be able to get out and explore the world.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, we've seen you in WWE. you know, you this dangerous Ascension, you know, tag team. Uh, I mean, but in real life, from what I've read and from what I've learned about you is that you're totally the opposite now. I mean, you're into meditation, you, you read a lot of Ram Dass and, uh, Apparently, you're also trying to explore some Indian culture. You're trying to get to know about the uh, Ganesha and all that stuff. Is that right? I mean, <laughs> I've been researching here and there, so I'm intrigued. And I know that the fans who are listening to this in India right now would be intrigued too. Tell us about the story. How did you get into all of this?
1: I mean, I guess um, just everything happens the way it's supposed to, I guess. Um, like the end of uh, my career in WWE, just very depressed um very angry and i didn't really know what to do with any of it um and just the way everything like and i was really tired of being angry and being depressed and just having it control me all the time and um i just somehow fell down the rabbit hole of trying to figure something out like back in it's like I want to say 2017, somewhere around there, um, I'd stumbled upon a uh, transcendental meditation. Right. And so I'd learned that. But like my teacher didn't have a lot to just kind of tell me, like whenever I'd try to question them, I, d- I didn't get a lot of answers. And um, even at the time I was trying to read uh, Maharishi Mukesh Yogi's book and I couldn't understand any of it. I was just like, what? I was like, I'm really trying and I do not understand this whatsoever. And so i kind of put it down and um there was a point i took a year off from meditation because i just i didn't know what i was doing anymore Um, and a lot of the times i wound up just bringing up uh, horrible stuff in me and i was like well this isn't the point (laughs) of all of this Mm -hmm. and um, i took about a year off from it and i just kind of started um falling down this rabbit hole more or less and it was really odd because it kind of happened with a sudden obsession with like ancient civilization and um, i just kind of realized i didn't know a lot about other religions more or less like even by the time when we first went to saudi arabia (laughs) i realized i had no real idea um, you know about uh, you know about any of that stuff Um, and i was like wow at this point in time i should probably learn about this And so just as I kept going down the rabbit hole, finally, I was like, oh, I had been meaning to get to Ram Dass for a while. Um, There was just like, I'd been reading so many other people's stuff and he would keep coming up. And then finally I sat down to watch the movie uh, Becoming Nobody. Mm -hmm. And it just blew me away. Like I I 100% identified with him, which is weird because I'm not from a Jewish family. I wasn't gay or bisexual. And, you know, he was... Uh, born so long ahead of me that it just it made no sense how I identified with him so much except for the fact of him saying it always felt like I was trapped in my body like I'm somebody else trapped in my body and I was like I completely feel like that a lot and once I watched that I just fell into the rabbit hole like I read Be Here Now I started listening to his podcast like there was I think there's like 180 some episodes of the be here now podcast and I would not stop listening to it. I, the first thing I did was I, when I looked up the podcast, I went to the original episode, the very first one, and I just did not stop. Like I just kept going because it just, everything he said spoke to me and made me understand so much about what was going on in my head, uh, within myself and just the stories of him and, Neem Karoli Baba, and all of those just stories um, wow. about them are so amazing to me that it just did the one thing I'd been needing to do, and it just opened me up, and it just helped me deal with all of my stuff so much better. And just the the freedom um, that it's given me inside is such a blessing. It's beautiful. That, um, you yeah. know, I, like, I just can't get enough of it. I, like, I just finished uh, listening to a reading that, uh, oh, I forget the other guy's name, but it was Krishna Das and another guy who's from TM, Michael something. I can't remember his name, but they did, um, a reading of, uh, it's all of the stories of Hanuman from the Ramayana. Sorry, right. Ramayana. saying that wrong, I know it, but uh, I had just finished that last week and it, it blew me away. Like whenever I'd hear Ram Das talk about the stories of Hanuman, um, I just loved it so much. Uh, like, there was just something about it that spoke to me. Like, it's funny the things that have always stuck with me, kind of like when I was a kid, I think one of the very first symbols I ever saw was an auk. And I just immediately wanted it when I was a kid. And so like Egyptian culture always spoke to me. And I was always kind of surrounded by Indian culture growing up in Canada, but I didn't um, understand it or know enough about it. And so once I actually started learning, you know, just these basic stories um i was just like man this stuff makes way more sense to me it just has so much more uh wisdom and truth to it that's know, beautiful that makes, you know and that's how it hits me so i just now you know it's nice when i can actually talk about it with people uh, because you know over here i don't think a lot of people get it but the people that do they really do so okay.
0: No, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I was speaking with PJ Black, uh, formerly known as Justin oh, yeah. Gabriel, a few days yeah. ago. And he also mentioned how all of a sudden he's into, you know, meditation, into yoga, into the Indian culture. And it, I was just thinking that it's so nice that our wrestling community. Is changing. I mean, if you look at non-wrestling fans, they still have this idea that they had from back in the day that wrestlers, they're all about the partying, they're all about, you know, uh, the gyms, the, the working out, maybe, you know, the girls, um, the drugs, all that stuff. But now our wrestling community has changed. It's not about the toxic environment anymore. It's not about the bullying. There's a shift. People are learned, they're wise, and they are just very open to different cultures, different ideas, and they meditate and they do things that are good for themselves anger for the society. It's great. So, you know, we can talk about this all 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 day long well, and could, make yeah. for a whole nother episode. I mean, <laughs> since we're here talking about wrestling, we'll stick to that, but I can talk yeah. to you about this all day long. It's incredible. Have you been to an India so far yet?
1: I have not. No, unfortunately. <laughs> I think they only did one tour of india while i was there and we weren't on it unfortunately right. but even the, the thing is now that really gets to me like there was so many places i went that i didn't know things about that i wouldn't have done what i want to do now there anyway so right. like even when i look back at it now one of the last our last european tour um connor and myself and uh dan engler the referee we went over to uh the coliseum and the vatican That's- um, Beautiful. you know and we got that tour of the coliseum was amazing like i've never had a tour guide that was that awesome before to really tell you exactly what went on and stuff and then even just standing in like saint peter's cathedral there uh, in front of the vatican was something else and then it's so funny to me because you know a couple of years later i was reading a book where i was like oh there's so much i wish i'd known all this stuff about where i was standing at the time you know i didn't really you know, I knew it was pretty cool, but there was more stuff that, you know, I would never be allowed to see, but maybe I would have gone and
0: asked somebody. I'm pretty sure now when you when you visit these places now, you know, uh, you're going to have a lot of uh, great experience now that you know about so much stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, I know we're still rolling, but I would like to invite you to India. And when you come here, you don't have to have a tour guide. You be my guest. I will be showing you around. That's for well, sure. That would
1: be great. I'd I'd really love that. That's one of the things. Like, I... I watch great callies videos all the time. And I'm almost like, I wonder if I could just get them to bring me over there. Cause I just want to, <laughs> I no, just want to sure. go around India. I know I'll probably, you know, get bad dysentery and all that kind of stuff, but I, you know, I just, I really do. That was a place I, um, I never got to go to and now I really want to see it. Um, but more or less, you know, I probably just want to go up into the mountains and stuff, <laughs> that sure. type of no. thing.
0: No, you come here, you be my guest. It's it's an inv- invitation, a formal invitation to well, you. And speaking you. of great Kali, he actually entered politics. He's now a politician. He really? declared entry into politics today.
1: Yeah. Oh, wow. I'm sure he's probably going to win then because you know, he
0: seems <laughs> to be pretty popular over there. That's right. He is, he is indeed very popular. Now, we can talk on and on about meditation, about India, about all this stuff. But let's mm-hmm. go back to the WWE topic now. I mean, you and Connor were, you know, I mean one of the most beloved tag teams in NXT. People loved you. Back then, we didn't even have NXT in India, but we knew who the Ascension were. We knew who Uh, Connor and Victor were. That's the kind of popularity you had. Uh, How would you define your run in NXT? How was your experience like?
1: I mean, I've always said it looked one way on camera and it felt the other way to us behind the stage. Um, You know, there was a lot of... I was So 50-50 back then because it was like if one day you did something good the next day you were doing it all wrong and So it was really hard for us to ever um, grasp how the people saw us because like we Sorry, excuse me. We weren't looking at it through that lens. We only saw it from where we were and a lot of the days we were kind of fighting uh, to prove ourselves like every day was kind of like, oh, it's another, I have to prove myself again, I have to prove myself again. And it, like, it wasn't easy. Um, It was like, we were always being tested in one way, shape or form. And there was a lot of times where it just seemed like we were, you know, never gonna break through, never gonna have anything happen. And um, it was really tough. But then like, it would be crazy because the first time, like when we did, the Wrestlemania in New Orleans, the first one mm-hmm. we did when we were champions there, we could not believe uh, the reaction from people when, when we were walking out on the street. Like, I had never been bothered before somewhere in my life, like anywhere. And me and Connor couldn't actually walk out onto the street without, you know, all of a sudden it was like a photo op line. And, like, we, we were just blown away. We were like, what? Like, people like <laughs> us? Like, we just couldn't figure it out because it never seemed like people really liked us. And that was kind of where it all really like started to sink in. Um, Cause even like our, our lines at access and stuff were like so long and we'd be sitting there. I, I remember there was this one day where we, Oh, they really had us doing a bunch of stuff. Cause I think we'd gotten there first thing in the morning. Uh, I think we had like a signing and then we'd done a couple matches and then we went back to do a signing and then i think all of a sudden we had to go fill in for somebody else and okay. i because oh, what it was was we were so it's just to explain that we were doing this autograph signing and we were like holy cow like our hands were actually sore from how many <laughs> autographs we'd signed and we couldn't we'd started to see our line finally dwindle and we we're like how long have we been here because we we're just like out of it at this point in time and it was like, you'd are kind of like, oh, okay, the line's finally like dying down. And like, you look down and you know, you're just doing your thing, you interact with the people. And all of a sudden, we looked up again and it was completely full. <laughs> and we literally just went, holy shit, like, are we going to have to sit here for that much longer? And then finally, I, I guess we were filling in for the Wyatt family uh, <laughs> at that point in time. Cause then all of a sudden, we looked over and they were all standing there. And we were like, oh, thank God. That's Thank right. God, maybe we can go finally relax today. You know, and which sounds ridiculous because you wouldn't think signing autographs, you know, is you know a very trying or, ordeal, but it it actually is. It's surprising, it's surprising I'm, how much uh, it can kind of take out of you.
0: Yeah. I'm sure it is, and you know, you talk about working hard trying to impress people trying to do things right and you definitely did things right I mean you know just considering the amount of autographs you had to sign in a single day the amount of love you got from the fans around the globe and the fact that you are the longest reigning still the longest reigning NXT tag team champion I mean you definitely did something right didn't you Mm -hmm.
1: I guess so yeah I mean I think everybody that was working with us too at that time even like when I say like, it felt like we were always struggling and like trying to prove ourselves. It was only because everybody was pushing us to be that good. And it wasn't that we weren't ever praised or anything like that, but most of the time it didn't, you know, it didn't, uh, never felt like we were being buttered up. So like, even like when we saw, you know, our big faces on banners and stuff like that at WrestleMania at access and stuff, we were kind of like, well, that's crazy. I can't believe that. That's us on there. So, you know, if anything, like I felt like it, always uh, kept me very humble. And you know, Connor is much the same way too. You know, I don't think anything's ever, you know, blown up our heads too much. That's for sure.
0: That's right. It's one of the th- reasons why I respect you two so much is because you guys are one of the most humble people that I've seen in this industry. It's incredible. Very humble and just mm-hmm. very nice. And uh, it reminds me of Aiden English, who I also spoke with a few days ago. It reminds your story reminds me of. Theirs, they're in English and Rusev. I know that WWE wanted them to be heels. They wanted okay. them to be heels, they wanted them to be hated by the fans, but then they got the whole Rusev Day chance, and fans were behind them, and then mm-hmm. Aiden said that "Oh, Vince and everybody was like, oh, why are they cheering them on, they, they should be heels. And mm-hmm. now for the, for you, you also, you know, you guys wanted, they wanted you to be heels, and you were heels, supposedly, and, and fans were cheering you on. So how did that make you feel, and how did, you know, the executives backstage, how did they feel about the whole fan reaction? Oh.
1: They didn't notice for so long. Um, I've got so many. It's actually really funny, some of the stories. There was like one of the, like we'd already kind of turned in NXT. Like the fans had just started cheering for us, no matter what they had us do. And I remember we went and we cut a promo and um, came to the back. And Pat Patterson, one of the only times I can remember him really, um giving me a lot of praise but he was saying how it was so funny because he goes you guys go out there and you know you're such ass kickers you're the world beaters and you're cutting a heel promo and they're the fans are cheering you like baby faces at everything you say and we're like yeah he goes i love it it's great but then michael hayes who had been you know there more or less working with us at nxt the whole time was he seemed so confused like he couldn't figure it out like he was just like i don't I don't get it. You guys are heels. Why are they cheering for you? That's right. We're like, Michael, they've been cheering for us for a while now, you know? And it was really odd because, like, Michael, I always felt, was like a pretty good supporter of us. And so hearing that, it just, it didn't make any sense to me. Because um, then, too, even by the time we ever did our first live event, um, yeah. which is super crazy, the first live event I ever did for WWE was at Madison Square Garden. And it was right after one of the very first takeovers and,
0: nah, and I was there live for that event. <laughs> oh, really? Wow. That's
1: crazy. So then, you know, it's, it was so funny because Michael says to us backstage, he's like, Hey, I'm going to have Vicki Guerrero manage you guys tonight. So right. that way she'll go out and she'll get you guys some heat, you know, just in case like people don't really know you guys yet. And we're like, Oh, okay. That's awesome. Like we both love Vicky, and I'm like, it's super cool. And so she goes out and does her thing and she's getting booed out of the building. And then when she introduced us and our music hit, it was the complete opposite reaction, That's you right. know? And even we were like, holy shit. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's just funny. And, you know, it kept going. Cause like then obviously we weren't ever really, uh, baby faces within WWE until we did the fashion files. That's and right. That was when like, it, it naturally happens, but they were trying to pretend like it didn't happen. Cause like they, uh, we haven't we had done this european tour where it started off with it was such a i can't remember if it was so it was brizango and like aop against the um the bludgeon brothers and us mm-hmm. and like the whole crowd was completely confused we were confused we couldn't even figure out how to really do anything with the match because we're like none of this makes any sense Yeah, and i just remember the agent just saying like we're definitely changing this tomorrow because you know this didn't work whatsoever um, But it was like once we got back from that tour I can remember they, it was almost like they were trying to figure out How to get us out of the fashion files because they did not want us, you know to be be baby faces like I can remember somebody showed me a sheet where they had like heels and faces and like then we were somewhere in the middle and I think they had kept just you know, somebody I remember saying like no, oh, they want you guys heels and it's like well They're not booking us with heels You know what I mean? Like, you know, so I, it's one of those weird things. Like, it was two very different um, regimes, I guess I would say, from when we went from NXT up to the main roster.
0: That's right. It was very different. I still remember you did a backstage segment where you were explaining to Victor why a piece of bread, a loaf of bread, was evil and gluten and it was all evil. And I was like, are these guys heels? Are they faces? What is going on here? I remember that very well.
1: That's right. So, I mean, all that fashion file stuff was so much fun. Um, it was fun, yeah. I, like, it was one of those things where I know the first one we did, we were like, "This is so weird. Like, what the hell are we doing?" And then when we saw the like final product, we we're like, "That's awesome." And then we kind of kept getting brought back into it. Um, I think a lot of it had to do with they were trying to do a payoff with the Bludgeon Brothers debuting from it, but then I, I think as Vince kept seeing it, he was like, I don't want the Pledge and Brothers doing anything with this. Like, you know, yeah, um, because he didn't want them to be comical in any way, shape or form. And it wasn't written so that it would be comical for them. But then just the way they wound up throwing us in there, um, it worked out very well as comical. And I, you know, to me, I like, and to all of us, we loved doing it at the time. Like the writers got to be so much more creative with what they were doing. Everybody was just having fun. Uh, and it was such a nice thing. Like I, I remember I had friends even getting mad because they were like, "Oh, this is what they do with these guys, you know, when yeah. they haven't been using them properly forever." And I'd have to tell them like, "Hey, shut up! I'm actually enjoying what I'm doing right now. Like, I'll, I'll do this all day over just getting my ass beat up." So.
0: and and that speaks volumes about yourself because you know no matter you're in stampede wrestling in japan no matter you're in nxt or you debut with your brand new outfit your brand new face paint or you're doing stuff with the fashion files i mean you as long as you're in there and you're doing stuff you're enjoying yourself and you're you're okay with it and it's also this interview right now i mean you're just such a wonderful guy so easy to talk to you (laughs) been almost an hour and there are so many stories we can go over and we can go on and on and you're just such a wonderful person i and it's great. And I truly feel like WWE dropped the ball on the Ascension and they really missed out big when, you know, I mean, they lost you. It was a big loss for the WWE. Uh, yeah, speaking I mean,
1: we weren't the first, yeah. we weren't the last. So
0: That's right. No, no, no. I mean, they really dropped the ball on a lot of people, a lot of people. Uh, But speaking of that, now we have a whole different kind of NXT 2.0, right? It's not the same old NXT that you guys built. And I really feel like you built that brand. So the NXT 2.0 that we see now, I mean, it's without William Regal. It's without the Dream. It's without Triple Edge. And if we look at the whole, it's very colorful. Everybody has a a weapon. Everybody has a toy. Uh, How do you feel about this new NXT? I
1: don't actually watch it i mean i see stuff on social media um but that's about it like i'm so turned off by all of wwe's products nowadays uh it's really too bad um, but i think there was like a point i think it just happened where i was like too much into it and too around it all there you know i'd been surrounded by it for far too much so even once um we kind of got left at home for a while i would just get angry at what i was seeing or you know the things that you know were being done and i was like okay i don't want to feel that way when i watch wrestling so i don't want to be one of those guys you know because i plenty of us have met older guys that were like back in my days is how we did it and i'm like okay well i'm not that guy i don't want to be that guy um so i just kind of had to tune it out and i've you know i've kind of I think the only thing I've really much paid attention to a little bit is Baron breaker, uh, cause I'm a huge Steiner brothers fan. And so, uh, when I'd heard about him, I was like, Oh, you know, I kind of want to see this. And so it's cool. Cause to me, he is a lot like a mix of Rick and Scott. he's so pretty awesome. But I mean, Vince ain't going to reinvent the wheel. You know what I mean? NXT had already done that. And even by the time we left, it had changed. Because um, I can remember, I would I used to get home off the road and I would watch the pay per views. And I can remember one of the first pay per views I saw. I, I was just so blown away by it. I'm like, "This is awesome!" And then like another month or two went by, and I saw the next one. And I went like, "Why does this look funny now?" You yeah. know. And it wasn't like that that much had changed, but there was something different about it. And even to like some of my friends who are big fans, like they say it's so much not the same. Anymore is what it was, you know, that I had been a part of building at that time. Um, But I think Triple H had a pretty awesome vision uh, for what he was doing with everything in NXT. But when I just heard, you know, the releases of like Dave Kapoor and William Regal and, uh, you know, the Armstrongs who, you know, had kind of always been like a little bit of a backbone there in NXT. I, I just said to myself, I'm like, well, now I don't know who half your roster is. And now I don't know who the hell's telling anybody what to do unless it's only Vince and um, I don't know if it's Paul or somebody else that's there doing it with them or uh, Pritchard. But it just seems silly to me. Uh, Like, I mean, when you look at it, AEW is doing great by providing wrestling. You know, they're, they're a real wrestling entertainment company that are putting it all out there. And I know, I think NXT is trying to do the same thing, but when you're, trying you're not actually doing
0: so i'm honestly very bothered by the fact just speaking of nxt that they don't mention the ascensions that you know run with the tag team titles enough i don't think i've heard it recently by anybody which bothers me i I don't understand why could that be you know you guys had a historic run with the titles
1: yeah i i mean i i don't have any answer for that either because like um i don't feel like i had any we had any bad blood uh okay. with with the people um but I, you know i think the best way i can put it is like they used to tell us like well we can't talk about this anymore like the announcers used to say we were they were specifically told never to basically bring it up again and i was like yeah i get it because you know now we're not awesome anymore but there's just that fact of And I mean, the the one thing like, and I'd actually forgotten about it for the longest time, like I never thought about it. And I couldn't even like, if I did think about it, I didn't think about it happily. But now uh, I realized that we were the last team they ever invested that much into. That's right. And, you know, like I try to think of it as like something obviously went wrong somewhere. I don't know what that wrong thing was. And I'm not going to beat myself up trying to figure it out anymore. But, you know, I thought, you know, FTR was going to be the next ones to beat our record. Uh, okay. And then I thought maybe AOP would do it. And then, um, you know, there's been a couple couple of people, uh, teams that I've thought would do it even ever since then. But they don't, they've not invested in anybody to do that. Um, and, I you know, it's just shocking to me when I see the talent that they've brought up in the last couple of years and then just let go. Um, and it's just It's wacky to me um, because just the way, like, everybody evolves on NXT. That was what was great about it when we all started. Everybody had their own evolution, which we used to watch, you know, younger guys go through on WWE television. Now, NXT gave us that. But then a lot of the times, it was like whoever came up from NXT, Vince hadn't really been paying attention and just wanted to do something else. Or, like, he didn't get them, but he was like, oh, I guess they're kind of over down there. Let's see what happens. But he wouldn't understand them enough to know how to use them properly. I guess, or you know that I—that's my take on it. I can't say that's actually what has happened, but you know, that's it's, right. it, it is wacky to me because really, like the transition should be much easier. Like when I, you know, if I if I see Shotzi Blackheart go from NXT to. To wwe you know to smackdown or whatever like that makes sense to me because you didn't change her at all she's still sure. her but too many of the people they didn't
0: seem to get so. that's uh, that's very very true and you know and you said that they don't mention you they don't want to mention you because you're not awesome i must say you're awesome and you're incredible and you stand out from from everybody else uh, you're the best and one more thing that i just want to point out is that you say that you know uh they're not investing into tag teams a lot anymore which I, you know, from Ascension as well, I had this feeling that when you guys got on the main roster, they put you in a lot of matches. But I felt for myself, from somebody who belongs to an international market. So I would have liked to know more about it at Ascension, the story behind it, the idea, the vision behind it. But I felt that due to the lack of promos or, or anything, I, that was not portrayed very well by the WWE that what was Ascension all about? What was the story? What is the story behind all of these symbols that we're seeing? I felt like that was lacking. So did you also feel like there could have been more promos, more vignettes, more character development on the main roster for the Ascension?
1: Uh, definitely. But when we got there, we were pigeonholed very quickly. Um, yeah. Like the stuff that I had to sit there and write with a producer Like those first Our, our debut promos. What we got was a better version of some really stupid stuff. Um, Because some of the stuff, I was legit sitting there going, I can't believe that I'm sitting here with who I'm sitting with. And he's telling me that this is a good idea because it's garbage. And so I knew at one point Triple H saw one of them and he just turned around and he was like, this ain't happening. And he had gone and he had talked with vince or something and so like they had gotten changed a bit but i mean they never really did any of that stuff otherwise with us like even for takeovers um we had asked if like especially when we were facing the lucha dragons um going into that whole feud we were like why does everybody else get these big build-up package videos where they're talking to everybody backstage and stuff but like they don't ever talk to us like nobody knows anything about us whatsoever like we haven't we hadn't done backstage stuff forever or or anything like it was just always a very kind of one-dimensional and to a point like it was kind of cool because like we were kind of kept a little bit more mysterious but Mm -hmm. at the same time like the funny thing about the symbols uh we were told to come up with a new symbol and not use the eye at -hmm. one point in time but we came up with about a 100 other symbols to the point where they're like don't send us anything else and then for that first takeover where they came out with those shirts it had the eye on it and we're like well why did you tell us to change your symbol if you were just going to use that one anyway you know so it's it's pretty wacky with that kind of stuff um if anything i could say it's super funny to me that we debuted in washington dc with all of that imagery behind us we had never seen that video like our our entrance our entrance video or anything we had never seen it had no clue what was going on up there. Uh, we had thought we were just having our same one from NXT that just showed us kind of like jumping around and screaming at the camera and stuff. But all yeah. of a sudden, yeah, our debut, Washington DC, we have just about every Illuminati symbol possible on our, you know, on our video. And I just kind of went, oh, that's really funny. <laughs> that's,
0: but, sorry, you, sorry, but you did not rehearse your entrance. It was just on the spot. You went on and you did your entrance. Well,
1: I mean, we do the entrance, the, like the entrance is always rehearsed, but the video okay. that plays, um, like to... our, our Titan Tron video or whatever, you know, it has all the crazy imagery and stuff in it. We had yeah. never seen any of that. They didn't show it to us before. So, like, even when, like, when we're rehearsing stuff, all they would do is play the music. Um, so we wouldn't, like, in the way we faced, we'd never turned around to see the Titan Tron behind us. We were always straightforward. So,
0: so the yeah. Illuminati was never your idea. <laughs> no,
1: like even so, what I knew. So, the previous incarnation of uh, Ascension to all of them before me, they had always kind of used the eye, but they had only used like uh, just the eye of Horus. And so, then when I had gotten put in and had been putting stuff on my gear, I'd been looking for different versions of it, and I found the one that I didn't even realize at the time is associated with the illuminati that has the triangle around it and that was the one that they wound up using for our t-shirts and for the logos and all that stuff wow. afterwards so yeah wow. it was pretty wacky when we used to see the illuminati conspiracy stories about us and stuff online right. i was just like really it was like i mean i wish like is that cool <laughs> if i was part of some awesome secret society that rules the world but i'm
0: definitely not <laughs> It's hilarious. It must be difficult to deal with, you know, such people. But now since you mentioned that AEW is the promotion, you know, the wrestling promotion, we just saw some incredible debuts last night with Keith Lee, Jay White making their debut. What did you think about that?
1: I mean, I think it's awesome. I mean, wow, what a a talent roster that they've got there. But, uh, I mean, it's going to be one of those things where, you know, you don't see enough of everybody on TV. Like they've got all this great talent, and they just right now, like that's the hardest thing I think in wrestling is there's not enough places for all of us. Um, that's right, because there is just a mass of amazing talent out there right now. Um, AEW's got so much of it, you know. Impact's got so much of it. We'll see what happens with Ring of Honor coming up, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but we need more. You know what I mean? I think fans want wrestling. Like wrestling, I think is just as popular as ever right now. Uh, And people want more than just what WWE gives us Um, for sure. So I hope we can just keep seeing more, more and more. I hope new Japan gets over into the States more, all that kind of stuff. Like I just, I hope the industry just keeps growing. um, And I hope it grows without, you know, needing to just focus on WWE because they had so been, I don't know, kind of a too much of a monopoly for the longest time, I guess. And I think, it's really starting to show that, like, when you only, I guess, because they're, I don't mean to say this in a bad way, but they're a little bit closed-minded where they wouldn't pay attention to what else was going on. And I think now it's starting to hurt them, you know. But, you know, I guess we'll see what happens. Like, I think AEW gives a great product, like, a lot of awesome, like, and it just keeps getting better and better. But I I just don't know. It's hard. Like, their talent roster's got to be, you know gigantic right now and i don't know how many of those guys all are able to make it on tv all the time and i don't think they're still running uh live events and stuff like that quite yet so it's you know i i hope nothing but the best for that company to just keep growing and to continue and i hope more and more pops up as it is
0: beautiful and i know that the fans uh, you know who attend indie shows are definitely in for a treat but when is the you know the ascension when is connor And Victor, you know, gonna really, you know, have us fans, international fans and the fans who watch wrestling on TV, gonna give us a treat, you know, and make their AEW or Impact or, you know, a debut on a show that has a TV deal. I have
1: no idea, to be honest with you. (laughs) I mean, there's been, just the last couple of years has just been funky, I guess, how it's all worked out. Um... So I really don't know what to say. Like AEW is so full of stuff right now. And like, I feel like I don't even see the tag teams get used kind of enough on there. Um, So that kind of bothers me a bit. Uh, I know TNA or impact. Sorry. Like they Mm -hmm. have a lot more tag stuff going on. I always feel like, but uh, I don't, I just, I don't know what to say on all all those fronts. It's like the best thing I can say is uh, our next match coming up is February twenty fifth for Outlaw Pro Wrestling in New York, where we are taking on the Rock and Roll Express. And I mean, you can't ask for any better than that, right there. So,
0: you cannot. Uh, I'm looking forward to that match, and you know, fans who are in New York should definitely check it out. February twenty fifth is that right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's gonna be. It's gonna be. Victor, Big Con, and Rock and Roll Express is big. It's huge. Yeah. And I know one thing for sure, wherever Victor and Connor pop up, fans are going to be in for a treat and the whole place is going to erode. It's going to explode. So I can't wait to see you guys pop in, in more places and really reach the Mount, Mount Rushmore of professional wrestling, which I really truly believe you will.
1: Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Absolutely. Hopefully, we'll see. It's been uh, these last few years with COVID and everything and just the state of the world. Um, It's just been wacky. It's just been really wacky. So, you know, I'm pretty happy even that we're that we've got this match coming up because that was something we've been trying to do um, pretty much well since COVID started. So the fact that it's finally (laughs) happening after this long is uh, pretty awesome. and We're really excited about that.
0: It's beautiful. And apart from wrestling, you also host your own podcast which is Wrestling with the Struggle. Can you tell us a little about it? How did you get the idea and how's it going so far?
1: Uh yeah, so far it's it's good. Like I, you know, all of these things of course take time. Um and it just kind of came to me like as I'm I'd been sitting here and, you know, like I said i would listened to a million Ramdas podcasts and so much stuff and um I just kind of wanted to do something, I want to say different within wrestling podcasts. Um, I don't know if i'm I'm getting there yet. You know, it's uh, like when I started, um, Mike Bennett was like to me the perfect example of like the kind of person I wanted to to talk to, just because right. of uh, I think we had so much negativity on wrestling, and a lot of us is like we, Got to WWE and left WWE or you know the journeys that we had through there I don't think there was a lot of guys that really had their stories told um, You know even just like I said huh? like me and Connor never had any backstage stuff that like ever really talked to us Like I, I forget that we were on the Dudley's DVD talking about them And that's the closest that it ever came to us like being normal people to talk to backstage there um, But so like I know all these you know different different workers that have so many unique stories to me um, I know what a lot of these people went through I know what I went through um, and I just want to like kind of make people more aware of what it's like you know um, I think there's a the new generation of wrestling has it a, a lot different than what we did when you know we started in developmental and obviously the system before us was different and stuff like that but I don't think You know, for the 10 years that I was within that company, I saw a lot of people, I saw a lot of their struggles, and I just wanted to be able to, like, help them get their stories out there and show, especially how they've overcome a lot of the BS that that we all have to deal with. Like, being an entertainer in any way, shape, or form, we all seem to deal with the exact same uh, struggles, more or less. Like, whether it's the criticisms, or just trying to feed yourself, or you know, or trying to get to your show one way or another, there's always something. And I think with wrestling, like it can definitely, I mean, with wrestling, it has such a drastic effect because not only do you kind of feel the effects mentally, but when it's physical as well, you get, it's just piled onto you so hard and it's really hard to get out from underneath. Um, I know I like, I got trapped within myself and my own depression for too long i seen other people have it happen. Obviously, you know, when you say, like, the generations before us and stuff like that and how they were, I mean, this is the reason, like, a lot of those guys aren't around anymore. It's because when they got depressed and stuff like that and trying to, you know, live their lives and deal with what they were doing, it catches up to you too fast. Um, and it, You know, you just kind of self-destruct, more or less. And nowadays, I think I see a lot of guys who have been, Close to self destruction at one point in time, but they're all able to turn it around and I just really want to make that accessible to people so that they see that we are real humans just like anybody else. I know you know WWE wants everybody to be superstars all the time. The truth that's is right. the people that you see who are superstars all the time, uh, you know, they're not Yeah, that's the best way I can put it because everybody's everybody's got to go in and fight for whatever it is they're doing on a daily basis and most of the time you don't win the fight so you know it's i'm just trying to kind of get that out to people so that you know it's all relatable um i've talked with so many people just like my friends that do different things in life and it surprises me how much the systems are all the same how people kind of all deal with the exact same things no matter what you're doing or where you are um so it's just you know my whole point with it is uh it's kind of showing how we're all tied together you know you might think something looks this way well my life's not really that much different than yours
0: It's so. incredible wow <laughs> i'm really moved and you know i can tell that you're not just a wrestler but a fighter i mean you fought through the entire uh it's not easy to be in an entertainment business itself but to be in a in a you know environment that is a wwe where you are portrayed as superstars larger than life but at the end of the day, we're all humans, you're human, and we go through struggles. And when you were talking about your struggles, I was thinking about myself and the struggles I go through. And for the first time ever, while interviewing a wrestler, I felt like I was not just interviewing a superstar, but I was interviewing somebody who was like everybody else, right? Who who goes through stuff, who... Overcome stuff, and not just that. Who wants to help other people, and not just wrestlers, but anybody who is going through somebody? We want to inspire them to, you know, fight back and take control of their life and turn it around for the better. That is incredible, Wick. And for those of you listening right now, check out Wrestling with the Struggle, as the name suggests. You you know, we all wrestlers in some way, shape, or form. If if we're not wrestling in the ring, we're wrestling outside of the ring in real life, and that's what Wrestling with the Struggle is all about. It's beautiful, Wick. It's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. You know, I, that was the whole
1: thing. Like I wanted to do just not a typical talk to wrestlers um, type of thing. Cause we have so many people that do that. You obviously do a great job with, you know, how you're doing it. And it's, you know, I see little differences with the, the few interviews that I do, but then even like how I say what I'm trying to do, it's not always that easy to get the stuff out of my friends that I want to get out of them. Um, sure. Yeah. You know, but I, That's my goal. Is I'm just trying to open it all up for everybody the best I can.
0: I love it. And the reason why I started my own podcast, the Racing Show, was because I wanted to. I mean the reason I started anything in wrestling is because I wanted to fight the toxicity in the wrestling community. Mm-hmm. I wanted to make it more positive. Now why I started the wrestling show and you can see, you know, the, the logo behind me, the turban and the glasses, I wanted to normalize it that wrestling is not just about, you know, one race, one nationality is the world in wrestling now. Mm-hmm. And, you cannot be racist, xenophobic. You can't think stereotypically. You can't shut the door on a community. When wrestling is so diverse, I mean, people speak different languages, but they speak one when it comes to wrestling, and that is wrestling. And yeah. that's why I started the podcast to to bring together everybody and talk about wrestling and love, share the love of wrestling. Mm-hmm. So,
1: and- it, it is funny, like when I think about it, because like what I grew up watching wrestling was. The complete opposite kind of attitude of what it is now, right? Like it was so, whatever's different is bad, no That's matter right. what it is. That's um, right. And now it's, you know, the complete whatever's kind of different is good. Yeah. So. But that's the world we live in nowadays. So I'm glad wrestling has finally caught up with
0: it. Finally caught up with it. That's true. And I must say, like, I mean, it was such a pleasure, such an honor to have you on the show to talk to you. And honestly, this episode could be 24 hours long. The amount of stories <laughs> you have. I mean, you're so inspiring, and I can go on and on and talk to you. It doesn't feel like it's been almost an hour and a half. Yeah, no, Thank you. Well, bye. Thank you so much, Wick. You are truly an incredible man, incredible wrestler, and I can't wait to see more of you. And I'm pretty sure we will see a lot more of you and Big Con in the near future.
1: I do hope so. Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's been thank a you. pleasure, man. Really it was,
0: it. Thank you so much. And for everybody, the links to Wick's social media profiles are down in the bio. Check them out. Also, the link to the podcast, Wrestling with the Struggle, is down in the bio. Check it out. Thank you so much, Wick.
1: Oh, thank you, dude. I really appreciate it. It was fun.